All right, cats and kittens, we are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the BrandoCast. I always say it's special, but this one is fucking special. Because it's the goddamn Christmas party. It's a two-person Christmas party. It's me and fucking Blaine Claus. (laughs) That's me. You kill me, you become me, like Tim Allen. I fell off a roof, and if you find me, you touch me, my spirit enters you, and every Christmas you turn into Blaine Kapatch. Uh, Wait a minute, is that the try premise? Try to get on stage somewhere. <laughs> is that the premise of the Tim Allen movie? I've never watched a Tim the, Allen. The movie. premise is like: is Santa falls off the roof, and he and Tim is there for it. I guess he startles him or something. It's sort of like involuntary manslaughter. I don't know what the <laughs> charge would be, but. And then he, the spirit enters Tim and he becomes Santa. So if you kill Santa, you become Santa is the lesson. <laughs> also, if you kill Jungle 2 Jungle, you become Jungle 2 Jungle. It's, it was a theme of all the Tim Allen movies. Holy moly. Holy Christ. Well, God damn it. You know, don't kill Blaine because there's only one Blaine. We can't yeah. have him. But he's if up. you want to get up in he's flappers up. in a couple of weeks, hunt him down. <laughs> yeah, I'll be out. I'll be out there. I'll be out front. Help me get on it, flappers. <laughs> I was just there, by the way. I love flappers. I don't want to. I don't want to diss it. It's fun to make fun of because it's called flappers, but it's actually a great club. It's like a proper. It's like a proper comedy club in Los Angeles. I totally understood, and I I've actually performed there. Um, is is it true that flappers used to be like an old sizzler or a Bennigan's or something? It has has the vibe of uh, big banquet rooms, yeah. <laughs> but and you know what? It's it smelled like sewage the last couple of times I was there. I've done shows there like, twice in the last week and a half, and at both times it smells like something opened up in there badly. So, yeah, probably a sizzler. <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing that says Merry Christmas like downtown Burbank. Yeah. Oh yeah. People put their lights out. It's nice when it gets dark and you can't really get a good look at it. It doesn't look as plain. <laughs> oh, Fuddruckers has a good tree. That's really nice. Is that still open? I heard Fuddruckers is, is, is OOB. I... Or are they like Red Lobster? Are they just going into like weird hibernation like a water bear? <laughs> I swear to God, the Fuddruckers in downtown, in the shopping district of downtown Burbank, I swear to God, it is still open because i tracked it when i went to see the eternals at the amc <laughs> okay. at the amc 16 <laughs> there was one there's a fuddruckers in baltimore i think it was when when they just kind of opened up as a national chain and it was a big deal to go there and it was actually really good and but it was expensive so we couldn't afford it a lot <laughs> it was like a big deal to go to fuddruckers you know anyway, that was in the 20th century you mentioned um red lobster and i had our friend tess rafferty on this show uh, a number of weeks ago, and I said to Tess Rafferty, you know, every once in a while, I think it happens like once a year, where I'll get this strange craving. It could come at any time of the day where I go, I I want to go to Red Lobster. I never go, but I have a craving that says popcorn shrimp. It's time yeah. to find a Red Lobster and just do it. <laughs> uh, I went there once with my parents. It was like a play in Bjork, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it was like, you had to wait in line to get in there. And it was full of families. And, uh, uh I, I thought it was great. I love family style restaurants. Ask my wife. She's right over there. But, uh, I love family style stuff and red lobster. They, we only went that once. And then I went a few times with my friends later when I could afford it. And I stopped going. Was, <laughs> you know, I mean, you've been there. I think Gen X loves uh, family restaurants. I really do, because we were raised on that. Did you have a Friendly's? Was there a Friendly's in York, PA? Yes, we had a Friendly's. Uh, we ate at the uh, we ate at the Denny's. We had a Big Boy. We had a uh, 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 we had a Chi-Chi's that I loved. I missed the Chi-Chi's. <laughs> Chi-Chi's. Really Chi- good Mexican food for Pennsylvanians. <laughs> oh, it was crazy, crazy good. It was just right, right down the middle. Just didn't pretend to be authentic, but it was really good. Yeah, there was a Chi-Chi's in Pittsburgh. And of course, that's everyone in Pittsburgh thought, well, that's that's Mexican food. Yeah. It's Mexican, <laughs> Mexican-ish. Mexican-ish. Oh, Kings. Did you guys have Kings in York, PA? I don't know if we had Kings. Maybe that's a maybe that's a, a Western Pennsylvania thing. We had a anyway. we had a, a, a restaurant called Gino's. It was like a fast food place, like burgers and fries place, Burger Chef style. But Gino's, it was very, very good. Disappeared. Just one well, of those places that was good, just didn't survive the, you know, the 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 test of time. The 20th century. 
Fuck yeah. All right. Well, dude, I'm so happy that you're here. We're going to do we're going to do a little Christmas party. Blaine and I have put together a list of some of our favorite Christmas songs. Uh Christmas songs that I think are essential cuz we basically picked uh songs that are well, he Blaine picked songs that are in my library, and I think I picked some songs that are in his. Uh what are your do you want to share any plans that you guys have for the holidays? Uh, well, I have an eight-year-old, so uh, I'll be putting uh, stuff together on Christmas Eve, banging my knuckles up and stuff. Okay, uh, so does the eight-year-old still believe in Santa? I think he does. Yeah, he knows. He knows. Kind of knows it's half bullshit. He's got a <laughs> got a good adult detector on him, <clears throat> but I think uh, he still has the magic. He's still a little kid. Kids yeah. stay kid-like for a surprisingly long time. Is that is that true? Well, I, I went. To, we went to a yard party for a, 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 a screening of a show my wife worked on. There's a bunch of kids running around. They're all my my kids' age. He's eight, and then but there was a girl there that was ten or eleven, and she seemed like a teenager. But then she was running from a worm, screaming, and they're all playing in the dirt. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. People stay kids for a long time. I feel you know, like into their thirties, forties. <laughs> no, well, welcome to Los Angeles. I'm into my 50s and still living like a seventh grader. Basically, I live my life like I'm in seventh grade, but somehow I'm in a magic apartment. That's how I live my life. Yeah, it's like, wow, I have a car. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do for a living? I have a car and a snake and a computer and a TV and video games. Oh, my God. I got an Eddie bobblehead or an Eddie. It's not an Eddie bobblehead. It's an Iron Maiden Eddie Funko Pop. Oh, okay. Are you yeah. are you a big Funko Pop guy? Left to my own devices, I would have about fifty of them. I have. I moved in with my girlfriend uh, almost a year ago, and she was like, "Yeah, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, nope, nope." Okay, that's those, a good move. Those stay in a box. Ric Flair? Can I have Ric Flair? Nope. Uh, what about Jerry Garcia? Nope. How about Morrissey? Nope. Okay, I've got four different Iron Maiden Eddies. And three of them are, are in a box. One just the only Funko that I have out lives on my desk. Oh, okay. But I oh, do yeah. want the I, I want the if you're listening to this podcast, people, I do want the Eddie Van Halen Funko that was just announced. I, I miss Eddie Eddie Van Halen. It was the last time I cried when Eddie passed away. Yeah, it was a drag. I was shocked. I was truly shocked. I it's I, so I, is it him and Tom Petty and Prince. Yeah. It's like what? Yeah. yeah All those I, guys just like you know, it's, but you know, people are that's that's life. Well, I have to say before we we get into the music that I'm still I was really taken by Mike Nesmith of the Monkeys passing away. <gasps> and I'm really mad at myself that I did not go to the Greek theater to see that monkey show a month ago. Can I tell you what happened? Tell me. Uh uh I was going to go but I couldn't go. I was opening for Patton in San Diego that night. Wow. And my wife took my son Oliver to it, this is like his first big concert, so they went, and I think uh, his his cousin Sirsha went with him. So, uh, uh, but he was sort of restless, you know. He heard some songs and stuff, and it's a big show, and it's a, at the Greek. And he was a little overwhelmed, but then at the end, they started playing songs that he recognized that were coming up to the big finale, and they played "Daydream Believer" at the end. And he said, uh, uh, "Vera said that uh, everybody was singing along, and they were all holding their phones up, and the whole audience singing." And uh, and my son just started crying, just buried his head in her shoulder to start crying. Oh wow! Beautiful, the most beautiful thing to happen at his first concert. And, uh, and I'm glad he got to see it. And she was like, "He's old. He was old. He looked like my dad." Wow. I, I mean, and I, I, you know, I mean, he went into hospice like right after that. So, and he wanted to do it. I thought that was good of him. Yeah, I read a lot about it. I I know his son. Um, one of his kids, and uh, I know that he really fought to stay on this tour and, and do it and complete it. And it took the guy essentially his whole career to finally understand the power of the monkeys. And I think that there's some great YouTube videos out there of the entire crowd that jaded Los Angelinos singing Daydream Believer. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw I saw you two at the Coliseum, I think again, back in the 20th century, it was around Austin Stories days because it was with Chip Pope from Austin Stories. Mm-hmm. And we went to see them and Rage Against the Machine opened. This was the Poptopia tour with the big lemon. And uh, in the middle of the show, there's a big catwalk and Bono's out on the catwalk and the band, he's like goofing around, being all lighthearted. And the band strikes into Daydream Believer and he starts singing Daydream Believer. 
He reaches down. He pulls this guy up out of the crowd. It's Davy Jones. Davy Jones finishes Daydream Believer. So what? Yeah, it was really cool. Unexpected. It was like, holy shit, it's Davy Jones. It's a different shape. He's older. <laughs> but it was uh, uh, like, oh, my God. And people just started crying. People start crying when that stuff happens. Well, I mean, it was a massive part of my childhood, just as Christmas was, but watching the monkeys, because they were on every day when we all got home from school in the late 70s, it was the best fucking thing. Um, I tried to perpetrate the Mike Nesmith uh, ski hat look at school, (laughs) and I think that lasted about four days, and I realized that I could not pull it off. I wish I had my copy of Abbey Road, my brother's Abbey Road LP, because I, when I was a little kid, I was like, no, it's the monkeys. Because it sounded like the monkeys, I was convinced. And I wrote monkeys over the Beatles with pencil. Uh, and uh, uh, I have so many monkey mobiles. Wow. I went to the Peterson Automotive Museum with Andy Preboy once. And we would just go and walk around and look at cars and talk about cars. We get to the top of the steps and the monkey mobile was on a turntable. And I thought I was going to pass out. Greg Barrett had the same thing happen to him with the Batmobile. But with the monkey mobile, like I wasn't expecting it. I just started crying. Holy shit. <laughs> I was so happy. It's like the monkey mobile. And it's really badass in person. Well, I've since... Sorry if I'm since, babbling about that. No, no, no. Mobile. I love it. Because I'm, I'm going to tell people that there's a whole bunch of uh, monkeys full episodes on YouTube right now before the the, the man takes them down. Uh, They're great. When Peter sells his soul to play the harp. <laughs> I was like, when I was a little kid, I saw I was like, no, Peter, no. I saw your soul to play the harp. You're fine. <laughs> there's one episode where... They're trying to get a recording contract, and there's a guy who owns a record company, and he gets a hold of their cassette. And even though they're like basically outdoor outside in the hallway, he's like, Someone find me this group. I gotta find this group. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, it's us. No, no, someone find this group. And they have a great run where all these different bands, you know, with Beatles and Crickets kind of names come into the guy's office. It's the fucking best. I'm babbling about the monkeys, but there is no, it's great. Part. Hey, yeah. can, did I tell you this before? I don't know if I told you the story before, but uh, I went to a show at the HBO Workspace years ago that Paul Kozlowski was hosting, who's mm-hmm. a very, very funny guy. And uh, he knows uh, Peter Tork. So he goes, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Tork. And Peter Tork walks out. And there's just a big keyboard there and uh, pulls out a quarter and he goes, uh, heads, monkeys, tails, Rachmaninoff. <laughs> and he flips a quarter and he goes, uh, tails. And he sits down, he plays a Rachmaninoff concerto, just note perfect. It was unreal. And then he just smiles and waves goodbye. Thank you. Good night. Wow. It was terrific. Monkeys were great. They're all great. Did they do a Christmas song? I don't think they did. I'm, I'm shocked by that. They, sh- they really should have done like a, even just a traditional Christmas song. Head. That's <laughs> <laughs> a Christmas, like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Yeah, head. <laughs> falling off a bridge into the snow. Yeah, that's heavy. I gotta watch that again because that that the 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 idea that they created this fucking movie with Jack Nicholson, that it was the ultimate like fuck it, we're not pop stars anymore. We're gonna make this radical movie. Um, I gotta watch that. But you've watched the full movie. I saw it in the theater again back in the nineties. Wow, and it was and it was a it was something I'd like to see again because I remember watching it and going, it's a little more to more. There's more to process than you think. There's a lot coming at you from different angles. You yeah. Know, stuff, I, stuff is funny on purpose and not funny on not purpose. And just things are, things are on purpose and the different purposes. I just like, <laughs> I just like the fact that Jack Nicholson worked with the fucking monkeys. Oh yeah. This is the, the, the cross pollination back then. It was just like, uh, 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 everybody was friends. It was just people that you saw at Greenblatt's or whatever. And then you end up, being this guy ends up being Harry Nielsen and this guy ends up being in the Trogs or whatever. No, they were British. Well, there's that great clip of, of Mike Nesmith and Frank Zappa switching personalities to do like a little two minute bit at the end of a monkeys episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it cut to current day where, you know, Jason Nesmith and Ahmed Zappa are good friends in real life. So it's like, I always, when I saw that video the other day, I was really kind of floored by that because the cycle of life goes on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they were all all peers and contemporaries hanging out, having a good time. Understood. All right, here we go. It is time for Blaine and Brendan's Christmas Party Mix. These are songs. (laughs) 
Are you are you doing any specific song, any specific version of that song in your head when you just busted that? Uh, it's just kind of a, just sort of a happy strings, happy strings. The just the, the music. I don't know if there's a, 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 I don't know if there's a canon version of of that. But I, I, for some Play reason, I, I was thinking that Chicago could have done a horn version of that. The band Chicago. Oh, that'd um, be fantastic. <laughs> it's just the thing i like about christmas music and i start by saying this yes i love the fact that it that it has a limited window that you can listen to it like a comet where uh if you hear it before thanksgiving you don't want to hear it and if you hear it after christmas you do not want to hear it but when you do when it does uh, when the window opens it's like i it's like the the cold wind coming in off the fresh snow and you know, you smell coffee and it's cold. It's like the, it's it, you can handle it for a little while and it's great. And then it goes away. It's perfect. <laughs> well, I love all the songs that we picked um, for the Christmas uh, party mix. If you have one at home, please add these songs if you don't have them already. So let's start off with, I don't know, I think this is the greatest Christmas song of all time. It's a song that Mr. Kapach picked. It is a Wonderful Christmas Time, Paul McCartney. The mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight. All right, tell me why you picked this song for the list. Uh, I picked the song for the list because it's uh, such a cute, catchy song. It makes me think of Christmas when I was young, and it was written by one of the Beatles. And it's, I mean, it's like, what's not to love about it? I think it gets, uh, uh, I don't hear it as much as I would like. I think it gets very unfairly maligned, and I think that people hate it. I understand why people don't like it. It's cloying. It's very saccharine. But there's something weird about it, and it's got that—it's got beetly weirdness to it. And uh, uh, I think people's hatred of it is is performative and tiresome. <laughs> well said. That is the PSA that should be attached to that song every time it is played. I fucking love this song. I think people are annoyed with the pew pew. Yeah, but it was brand new at the time. <laughs> you know what? For the longest time, I thought that it had been. Uh, that it was the Beatles that uh-huh. it was released uh, through the fan club or something. I think somebody had told me that, and I believed that for years. And then I found out later that it was just Paul. But it was uh, uh, it's like I don't care. It's Paul's one of the Beatles. He's Paul. Did so you- it's, and I'm not. I don't want to get all Beatley about it. No, no, no. But it does have it does have a total Beatle thing, and it's just like I said. It's cute and catchy. It makes me feel good. It's just a fun Christmas song. It's got all the Christmas notes in it. It's the fucking best. Um, so I have to ask, how many times have you watched Get Back from start to finish? I watched it all in one Sunday and then just thought about it for a week. It was, it was. I really, really loved it. That's, yeah. I, I don't really want to get into a long conversation because there's so much to talk about. There was, I will say that uh, at the end of the first third, uh, uh, when after George had quit and the the three of them were sort of goofing around, making fun of it. And then they all sort of decided that they needed to go talk to George and they all were walking out and they sort of went over into a little huddle and they all put their arms around each other. And I just started crying. Yeah. Cause it was like, Hey, it's the, it's the thing I liked about get back was it was like having the Beatles back for a few hours. It's like, Hey, there they are. They're alive. Everything's okay. You know, just for a few hours, you can go back and live in that. It was, it was really, really beautiful. I thought. And very informative about their process, too. It was like very eye-opening. Like, oh, it was so simple for them. And it, it was a very simple, looked like a very simple process. But it was because they were so good at it. Well, the, the reason I ask is because, you know, watching McCartney's process, you know, he could have come up with Wonderful Christmas Time in a similar manner where he just, that guy just sits down, opens up his mind, and then all of a sudden, fucking amazing shit just comes out. Like to watch him. I bet he wrote that in fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, he was he tosses that stuff off, and he's just really. Uh, uh, and again, I don't want to talk about the Beatles a lot. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, but I remember John Lennon saying that he was that songwriting for them. He was talking about their process, and he said in the beginning they would cover songs and they learned how to how to play those songs. And when they started writing songs, they sounded like those songs. And then they learned how to write their own songs. It was very hard. But then they were writing their own songs and it got easy. And then they started writing songs when they weren't even trying. 
He said their brains just began writing songs without them. And I think McCartney is just was just more ambitious and driven, was a guy that would sit down and actually do it. And Lennon was the guy out doing heroin. <laughs> you know, they both had they both had that that thing going on in their brains where they would were constantly writing and doing new stuff, but McCartney was actually in front of a keyboard or a guitar with it. He's insane. Uh he was always my favorite Beatle. Although I have to say, after Get Back, I'm like fucking Ringo's the goddamn <sighs> best. I love, them all. I love it's, them all. It's 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 they're they're one 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 big thing. Um, I will say this: they always say that you can tell a lot about someone based on their favorite Beatle. I think the same is true of the Monkees. Uh, and Mike was always my favorite. All right, moving on to the uh, Brendan and Blaine Christmas Party mix. It's a song that I picked. It is from his classic Christmas album. This is uh, Elvis Aaron Presley. Uh, an unknown recording artist from the 50s and his song Santa Bring My Baby Back to Me. I don't need a lot of presents to make my Christmas bright. I just need my baby. You know, nothing says Christmas like Elvis. So I had to have, that's one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. Nothing pronounces Christmas like Elvis. <laughs> well, the Elvis Christmas album is so incredible because you get the fun of this song. And then you get the like the sincere Elvis singing silent night and shit. Like yeah, well, he's always singing to his mom. He was a sweet guy, and he's a church church kid. I always let Elvis have that have that religious stuff. Uh, how how do you feel about Elvis Presley in general? Oh, I love him. I uh, uh, I remember I just started to when I was a kid. I just started to get into him. Uh, I just started to realize, oh, this guy's really good. And then uh, and then he got killed. Not killed, but he got he died. And then I remember I was going down to my friend Ron Erie's house and I knocked on the door and I could hear the TV in the house. Elvis Presley, dead at age 40. I said, oh my God. And I was walking home and people were crying. I could see people crying in their windows. It was bizarre. No, I, uh, I, I had the same experience. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say I had the same experience. That was one of the first like cultural events outside my own little bubble world that I understood. You know what I mean? Like I understood the son of Sam in a way. You know what I mean? Mm. I understood that Gerald Ford was president and it was weird. And I understood that Elvis died. Yeah. He well, it was very seismic and it reached every it reached everybody regardless of where they were. And this is before there was any sort of internet at all. People were super affected by it. He was a just a, an omnipresence for what, 20, 30 years up to that point. He was just a huge celebrity death, you know, just massive. There was a period of time when he was the number one star on the planet, period. You know, have you ever been to Graceland? I have never been to Graceland. Have you? I've been to Graceland. Uh, I went there, beat the geeks. We're doing a college tour. We were in, in Memphis, which I love Memphis so much. It's my, one of my favorite cities ever. But we went to Graceland and you go into his house and it's the house is is a whole thing, like a, a, a real, like, oh, okay, I get it now. You get it. You get who he is. But then you go through his house and then you go into this hall, through a door into a hallway and it's nothing but gold and platinum albums and his gold lame suit in a case and just all these articles and stuff. It's just, which represents billions in sales. And uh, you go, oh my God, that's right. This guy was enormous. This guy was one of the biggest showbiz things ever. But it's right. gone. It's kind of dissipated now. Even even the the myth of him faking his death and living in Tucson somewhere is completely gone. It's just it's hard to keep that music um, out in the public consciousness. I mean, the Beatles. Not to bring it back to the Beatles, but they've done such a good job. They have a team of people that like completely plans how they reintroduce the Beatles to like young kids. Like every few years, like they re they work on that. Like yeah. I don't think Elvis has the same thing. Because you're right, people just don't know and they don't realize how fucking huge he was. I, I don't know if many Angelinos realize that he used to live near Laurel Canyon and Mulholland's. Really? Oh yes, he did. Wow. Yes, he did. Not I'm far sure from sure the Mulholland. Not far from the Mulholland Tennis Club. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know what? I I, I think uh, maybe some of it has to do with the fact that Elvis was a singer and not a songwriter. Like the Beatles generated their own music. And I think that's a big thing. It's like Frank Sinatra was Elvis huge and and much more had much more uh, time on his career than Elvis did and was at the top of his game the whole time. 
but he didn't really, when he died, that was pretty much it. It was other people's songs, other people's music, and the recordings of him are, are what survives, but the legacy doesn't really continue outside of that. Really? Does it? Not, no, I, am I, I talking in circles here? I think no, you're not. You're not. You're not. There's because there's Sorry, so, much, I had so much Benadryl. No, there's so much content out there. There's so much fucking content out there. That's why it's hard to weed through the noise. Greg Barron has a th- sort of a theory about that. Like when you and a I, wise man, Greg Barron, a, a one wise my, one man. of my favorite people. But he, but he, he told, he said to me once about like the, the amount of content that's out there. Like think about it. When we were kids, there were what three network channels. There was PBS. If you were lucky, you had two UHF channels. Mm-hmm. That's your total television before cable. Then your your town has two or three decent radio stations and definitely an oldie station that's still playing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe a newspaper from a different city. Maybe. Uh, and, some and magazines. Maybe, that's it. Rolling Stone, Cream, Circus, and some books in the library that you had to like find. Maybe. That's it. And now yeah, you had to you had to search and seek, right? But that was part of the the fun of it was searching and seeking, discovering, mm-hmm. holding, getting fucking excited about it, and then owning. Like that was such a, a huge deal. Now there's eight million things. I don't know anybody who's on the American Music Awards, and I used to know I could name every member of every band ever when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 a new time, new bands and stuff. Yes. That'll that'll change, so um, let, let them have their tartar <laughs> sauce. <laughs> you know what doesn't change? What doesn't change? The awesomeness of Little Drummer Boy by Bing and Bowie. Come, they told me, this is one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time, only because I just love the idea of 70s David Bowie coming into Bing Crosby's world. I don't know, maybe blowing his mind? He's there because the, the Crosby kids said you should have David Bowie on your Christmas special, and they reworked the song so David has that amazing part, you know, peace out. Yeah, that contrapuntal thing in the middle. Can it be? Yeah, it's go- it's really gorgeous, and they would play that on MTV all the time. It was in heavy rotation, and you'd be like, "What the?" And every time it was because Bowie looks normal, right? But he still looks like a uh, you know, like he just stepped out of a meteor next to Ben Crosby, and Crosby is probably you know, drambuied out of his mind. But I had oh, I just read. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that Bing Crosby had an insane gambling problem. What? He was always getting, he was always dragging people into his, like, out to to bars and casinos and stuff and he owed the mob, like, 50 grand, which back then is like they're going to cut your hands off. Wait, <laughs> you know, that's wait, back in, what? Back in 30s, 40s money. Yeah, Bing Crosby was a big gambler. Holy shit. Had a big gambling problem. Google it, man. Google Bing Crosby gambling. <laughs> you know, normally, it's just about the child abuse. You know, right. But then it steps down into the uh, the gambling. Okay, so beat his own children. And his may, kids. may or may not have been in debt to the mob. <laughs> yeah, I just, just owed a lot of people a lot of money, just uh, enthralled to gambling. Wow. Yeah. yeah, isn't it weird? I, I will not. Great I, voice. I will, I, will, I will keep people anonymous, but it's always funny when you find out like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that big showrunner? Yeah, he's a fucking gambler. He makes everyone go to <laughs> Vegas on Friday nights, and they just blow it out. Oh God, I'm going to hate a showrunner. It would make me go to Vegas. Okay. <laughs> now come on, Blaine. Oh, We're God, going. Oh my God. We're fucking, you're going to be at the Bob Hope Airport on, fr- on Friday night at fucking six thirty, dude. We're going to Vegas. Can't, I can't do it. I love, I love, I love Vegas. I don't gamble. I don't gamble. And I don't go to titty bars. I don't drink anymore. So it's like, I just don't just, why would I go to Vegas? But then again, it's like, it's fine. I don't, uh, I don't understand giving you my $20 because you have a card that's better than mine. Like that's how <laughs> my, my brain sees it. Yeah, uh, I'd rather take the money and buy something else with it. The great comic, Jamie Kaler, my, uh, my good buddy, Jamie Kaler told me about comics in Vegas. Maybe you could shed light on this. Like when you go to Vegas back in the day, they would give you cash. Mm-hmm. Like up front, even before your seven night performance at Ha Ha's or Cheetahs or whatever, knowing that you would spend that money in the casino. Because <laughs> uh, one time a guy tried to, you know, he was staying at like Harrah's or, uh, you know, the Frontier or whatever. And the guy tried to give him a lot of cash and it was a, you know, decent amount of cash. And he's like, actually, can I have that in a check, please? 
And the guy was like, no. And he's like, why? And the guy wouldn't admit it, but he realized in that moment, like, oh no, he wanted me to go spend that money okay. in his fucking casino. Does that uh, make any sense? Well, when I did, I, I don't do Vegas a lot. When, the first time I did it was in 94. I did the Maxim, uh, which is now the Hard Rock. Right. And uh, uh, they told me that they would not give any advances because the comedians would blow all their money before the end of the week. And then there would be a problem because they wouldn't have money and they would rack up more bills and still be in the hotel. So they had a policy that was the opposite based on what you were talking about. <laughs> it was the overreaction to, because like then I had no money. I was like real, I was living on a horrible budget. I was eating at McDonald's every day, one meal at McDonald's every day. And then they mm. gave us meal tickets for the crew room, which just gave you diet. <laughs> Wait, the crew diet. room in the Maxim Hotel that was for like crew employees. That was yeah, oh, it was wow. like employee craft service. <laughs> it was me, Robert Hawkins, very funny comic, and Tim O'Rourke. Uh, uh, he was a bartender on the Drew Carey show. Funny guy, rest in peace. Fair enough. Yeah. And it was the, that was the week that uh, uh, Evil Can Evil cruised me. <laughs> oh, right. I knew, yeah. I do know that song. I do know that story. Well, it's a, that's an elite club, I think. Yeah. You know, it's uh, uh, <laughs> the, the sea level club. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, earlier I was going to say that we didn't have any country hits on this uh, mm. Blaine and Brendan Christmas party mix, but Blaine Cr Claus has delivered a gem. Oh my God, it is. Santa looked a lot like Daddy. It's Buck Owens. Santa looked a lot like Daddy. Our Daddy looked a lot like him. It's what a great song. Come on. Him. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, it's a modern story song. That's what I love about it. And Buck Owens is like such a serious guy, like a real serious country singer, picker and a grinner. But the grin is a serious grin. <laughs> but he's a uh, uh, he's just telling a story for the kids. He's singing about you know, singing from that point of view. Just not getting it. I love it. It's just a beautiful, cute song. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't sound like it's trying to be too Christmassy like a lot of modern Christmas songs do. Well, I'm a, I have said this on this podcast before. I cannot stand the sound of modern country music. But if you give me that classic 60s country, Buck Owens, Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, George Jones, Tammy Wine, I, the, you got me. I fucking yeah, the, love the, all of that stuff. It's it was all on hee haw, right? That's what I love. It's like you know, you hee haw, you get these corny jokes, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit! There's you know, there's uh, uh, here's George Strait. <laughs> you know, somebody gets out there and it's these real serious guys, Bakersfield guys, and and uh, uh, Buck Owens and Roy Clark are insane players. I saw I, Buck Owens at his place up at his at the Crystal Palace. Okay, tell he, me that's in Bakersfield. It's in Bakersfield. Okay, so tell me about that place. We uh we drove up, me, Lord Corette, Kurt Weitzman, and uh, Matt North, I think. We drove up in my Volkswagen Squareback. I don't know how we did that, but we drove up. And uh, uh, you go in, and it's Buck plays for an hour, and he has a just a band there. And then there's dancing and stuff, ballroom dancing and dinner and stuff. They serve it, and there's bars. And it's all like memorabilia from Buck. His red, white, and blue guitars everywhere. There's a Cadillac that Elvis gave him behind the bar up on an angle. Wait, what? It's really neat. Yeah. Just, uh, just Buck has his Cadillac in his bar. That Elvis gave him? Yeah. Holy I mean, shit. I don't know if it was a poker game situation or something, <laughs> but it was an Elvis-related Cadillac. And then, uh, and then uh, Buck plays, just goes up there, and he'll just take requests. So you go up there and go, uh, hey, uh, you play Tiger by the Tail. All right. There was... So he'll uh, uh, so there's napkins all over the stage, and he's got a huge head, giant show business head, and a uh, uh, like a uh, like a battery pack for his remote for his uh, for his guitar, his guitar uh, transmitter, and uh, just glowing on his side. And he would just uh, he's on so many bowls of pain medication, you couldn't believe how completely fucked up he was. Talk about his jokes about divorce. Talk about his divorce. And he's like, if this mumbling a little bad, and it's his divorce. And so when a woman gets one, a woman gets a divorce. And it's like a divorce. He keeps coming out of this this blur of pain medication. And then he go anyway. Here I got a tiger by the tail. <laughs> this huge voice booms out, and he was so good. And then uh, uh, then he would take a break where the band would just sort of play instrumentals. And he would just uh, uh, grab a young 
thing and dance in the dark in the crowd with everybody else. You could see his pack glowing. <laughs> but uh, and then you go back up and play another hour. It was fucking great. Wow. And uh, uh, the best part is uh, uh, Dick Dale was there. Whoa. In the audience, just watching the show, just watching Buck play. And uh, I remember a couple of times we'd sent napkins up going, ask Dick Dale to come on stage <laughs> and play some Dick Dale songs. Yeah. But that's not really something because he, he, he plays a he plays a uh, left handed and his guitar is just strung with just telephone cables. So that would be hard for him to. Hey, I'm going to bring Dick Dale up. Just play a couple of <laughs> play Miserable for you guys. <laughs> just wearing a guitar pick down like white hot. <laughs> I got to I got to Google if Dick Dale did a Christmas song. There's got to be a a Dick Dale Christmas song or two out yeah, there. Yeah, there must. Yeah, there must be. Yeah, but that's. I feel like that's your wheelhouse. That's like Lucha Vavoom, Wacko. You love all that Americana yeah, stuff. Yeah, that Link Ray, Link Ray yeah. flavored stuff. Yeah, you love all that. I love, love, I love surf guitar. That's yeah, crazy old surf. I saw Dick Dale do a thing. Uh, he was getting some award for I think like the L.A. City Paper or something. It was at the 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 music box. And he uh, said, please welcome Dick Dale. And Dick Dale comes out and just, he plays a 15 minute medley of everything he's ever done. Just did not stop playing. It was insane. I saw Link Ray do the same thing. He got an award and came out. He, was, uh, he opened some song. He goes, uh, Link Ray only had the one lung. I think he lost a lung in Korea. He comes out and he goes, uh, his next song was stole from me by Kurt Cobain. Oh no. But now he sits at the side of the Lord, my God, so I forgive him. And then he goes into whatever song he, Lord, that Kurt Cobain stole from him. <laughs> Fucking crazy, crazy. Anyway, I saw Link Ray, Ray, Ray and Dick me. Dale. I was glad to get check, the, check those guys off. Oh, my God. That is insane. Well, I'm going to call an audible. Uh, I'm going to call an audible. Speaking of surf guitar, I think. Oh, by the way, to- uh, uh, my wife would get mad if I didn't say that whenever I talk about Buck Owens, she calls him uh, Fuck Noens. <laughs> 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 oh, such a simple joke, but it made me laugh. Always that's works. A, that's a good one. Well, I'm going to call an audible. Uh, speaking of surf guitar, I think we need just to hear a little snippet from Little St. Nick, Beach Boys. Nothing says Christmas in Southern California like Christmas with Mike Love, Brian Wilson, and the rest of them. Come on. You know what? It's got the same it's got the same Christmas vibe, but with the quality of a proper band the way a wonderful Christmas time does, where it yeah. sounds it's you know, it's the Beach Boys singing about Christmas. I don't know if this is true, but I believe Phil Spector, I would imagine Phil Spector um, produced this cut. I was, you know, Phil Spector's Christmas record uh, is another one of my favorite um, Christmas albums out there. I didn't choose any of the songs on that. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because Phil Spector is creepy and, and he's His a murderer. His music blows my murderer. face off every time. Right. Amazing, incredible art murderer. <laughs> right? Yes. It's, isn't yes. it, it's so, it is hard. Especially I, after what he did to Let It Be, am I right, you guys? Come on. <laughs> Hold for applause. Yeah, the worse than thing. shooting that lady in the face in Alhambra. Uh, and I always have to point it out as my uh, my Hollywood trivia fact. Uh, Lana Clarkson, she played uh, Vincent Chiavelli's wife, the professor. She was the hot professor's wife on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wait, 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 wait. What? Remember when they all met Vincent Chiavelli? Remember Vincent Chiavelli played the professor that took yes. him out to the autopsy? Yes. And then they all went to a party and they met his wife and she was smoking hot and they were all like really like, ooh. <laughs> that was Lana Clarkson. That's the woman that uh, Phil Spector killed. That is great trivia. Maybe I knew I, I, I always feel grave Robbie when I point it out, but it's like, she would, I'd rather have her around than Phil Spector. Yeah, ho- Hollywood is a strange place. Loaded with murder. Murder, murder, murder. But you know sure where is. You, you know where there's no murder? There's yeah. no murder in Peanuts Land. Ah, oh, the North Pole. <laughs> uh, the Vince Guaraldi Christmas album. Blaine picked that. The phenomenal music from this soundtrack that every home in America should own. 
Uh, why did you pick Vince Guaraldi? Because uh, it's the first thing I play when I start playing Christmas music. It just, I, I mean, you're from the same age group. That, yeah. that, that th uh, show is as old as we are, so we grew up with it. It's a, a lot of nostalgia, but it's, it's the rare kind of nostalgia that's actually backed up with uh, a timelessly good player doing uh, incredible uh, versions of classic music. Uh, I love Vince Guaraldi. He died of a heart attack, I think. He was a crazy, heavy smoker, they said. Oh. But I think he died when I was very, very young or something. That's a shame. I always liked his playing. The, the, this, I've made this point on this show before, but I think the reason that Gen X is so nostalgic for this stuff, because I am, because when I hear this music, I'm instantly calmed, uh, is because we had to wait a year to see the program. Yes. We had to wait an entire 12 months to see this, to see Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rankin and Bass, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Wizard of Oz, the John Denver Christmas special. Like you They had were all events. You, could, yes. you can't describe what an event they were. Uh, and I understand why they're not events anymore, and I applaud the fact that we can go and watch that stuff whenever we want now, but... It does kind of remove the uh, uh, the excitement of knowing something's coming around the bend. I mean, even before VHS, I mean, it's just it's just insane. Um, I had I had a like an out of body experience. I was in the Grand Tetons a number of years ago, and I was it was like I was Santa for the children of the Teton Valley, Idaho, because the real Santa got snowed out in a blizzard in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and he couldn't get up over the pass to come down uh, to the Idaho side of the Teton Valley. And um, so I was basically hired to be the Santa for all the children of uh, Teton County, Idaho. Wow. Um, and right before I put the suit on, like the this little town, Victor, Idaho, uh, I they set me up at the Victor Emporium, which is like a soda shop, souvenirs, uh, winter clothing, like everything in one awesome store, and that's where Santa was. And it was like a pure whiteout because the the snow really hit Christmas Eve, two thousand and eleven. And as I was basically on the way to the um, to be Santa, I heard. Uh, And it was so peaceful that it like blissed me out before this like semi stressful event. That was a horrible story. <laughs> no, that's that a great story. Mangled, it was mangled like crazy. Yeah, just um, getting blissed out is good. But hey, but I got blissed out on this music right before being Santa, uh, which was a crazy experience. By the way, I will tell you this, and I won't bore you with the story. But the kids, like there were literally like 50, 60 kids in a huge line. And, you know, one by one, they came and sat on my lap, and I did the whole shtick, like, oh, ho, ho, well, Merry Christmas. And, um, you know, I would ask them what they wanted for Christmas, and one little boy, and they were predominantly Mormon, because this part of the country is predominantly Mormon. One little boy said to me, I want my mom to be nice to my sister. And I was like, holy shit, kid. <laughs> holy fucking shit. <laughs> All right. I'm going to snap my fingers, and if she's still messing with you, it means God doesn't exist. Click. I knew. Also, like, next door to the Emporium was a little movie theater, and a bunch of kids had been uh, in the theater to see Tintin, and I knew that, that move, the movie Tintin. And one little girl came and sat on my lap, and I said, how was Tintin? And I blew her fucking mind, because she, uh. the, math, the math she did was, Santa knew that I had just seen Tintin. Yeah, Holy you shit. Off and the shelf was bad. <laughs> Santa's got a drone in your room. You see the you see the light blinking up there? That's a drone. You can't even hear it. <laughs> Another little boy asked for a cow. Oh. Yeah. What did they do in that part of the That's world? Good. Very rural part of the world. All right, moving on. We love the peanuts. Gen X loves oh, the oh, peanuts. Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, Vince Guaraldi does a Beatles cover that's fantastic. I'm a loser. Just Google Vince Guaraldi, I'm a loser. It sounds like... Uh, it sounds like the Beatles, or I'm sorry, it sounds like the Peanuts Christmas special, but it's a Beatles song. It's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I love it. I love the next song that Blaine picked for the uh, our Christmas party mix. This is Eartha Kitt begging for a fancy apartment in Beverly Hills. It is Santa Baby. Santa Baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Uh, why'd you pick this one? 
Uh, I picked that one because it always comes up and it's fun to listen to. People talk about Baby It's Cold Outside uh, and how it's, you know, problematic and all that stuff. And But Santa Baby is is a woman who is just going down a checklist of shit she wants and she's making no bones about it. It's very, it's, it's unabashed greed, gluttony, selfishness. It's just mammon-tastic. And uh, uh, I thought it, it has the right kind of adult sophisticated Christmas twist thrown on it. So it's Christmassy enough that you can buy it with if you don't really listen to it. But it's not really a slow dancing song. I just, th- just thought it was funny. My wife and I always get a kick out of it. Santa baby, need a Maserati and you to pick up the lease payments and some health insurance. Santa baby, got some crowns in my back. Hear my molars that need work. I don't know what how the melody goes off. Here, <laughs> I think that basically I- just she's just going she's she's registered at santa <laughs> i think that she is asking for an apartment south of wilshire and west of beverly right in that little pocket like behind yeah. where uta hey. used to be <laughs> i didn't know i could do that hey santa i'd like an apartment down there too uh, if i could be specific about neighborhoods yeah hey, could i get something in la crescenta that would be good like off honolulu <laughs> up in Montrose. I love Montrose. <laughs> Someplace close to the fire department in case. It's oh, crazy. Dave Anthony, if you're listening, we're moving up to your part of the world. <laughs> no more. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> yeah. Eartha Kit, Santa Baby. What a fucking amazing song. Uh, and what an amazing Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People should know. Eartha Kit was Catwoman. Yeah, you know, a lot of lot, you know, a lot of people are, are more into dog woman, but you know, <laughs> I like the cat woman. Oh, such a simple joke, but it made me laugh. Uh, well, you you mentioned it before, so I think we need to play. You know, a song that most people do have already on their list, even they might not admit it. But it is, baby, it's cold outside. I really can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. Got to go but baby, it's cold outside. Okay, yeah, a little rapey. But things were different back then. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, uh, there's been a discussion where people are are kind of addressing the overreaction people have to it, and I understand where it is very problematic. But uh, I always listen to it. Maybe it's maybe I've been listening to it wrong. But for me, they were always both in on it. There was a little, this little, little give and take. There's a little fussy under the table going on. They were both. They were both in on it, and I like to imagine that they ended up married. Uh, so you know uh, so maybe this song, uh, Baby It's Cold Outside, led to something good. And maybe you should stuff off other people's business necks. There, is, I said it as a, I break a pencil. What a beautiful way <laughs> to look at the song. And they both lost the son later when his plane crashed. I mean, that, that yeah, this couple went through Mr. Stuff. and Mrs. Henry Blake Sr. <laughs> and he used to eat at the fucking Hamburger Hamlets on Sunset near Doheny way back in the day, every day. Did you ever go in the Hamburger Hamlet up there on the Sunset Strip when Dean was there? I didn't go in there when Dean was there, but I did go in there and have a vodka at some point. I didn't know there was a hangout for Dean. I do know it smelled old in there. <laughs> it's musty. I usually like I like old places with booths, but sometimes they smell like like the carpet got wet and it never really dried out. Like the Sam Ash on on Hollywood is like or in Sunset is like that. <laughs> well, you, you know. heard me. The su- Hollywood, uh, uh, the, the sunset, uh, Sam Ash smells like mold. <laughs> so don't buy a guitar there. <laughs> no, they have fun. guitars are fine. Place smells. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Dean used to hang out. That was like a little peak. We, my friends and I went and there he was sitting. Oh, in the you booth saw him by himself. Yeah. Wow. Cause he, he ate there. That was, you know, near the end of the sunset strip, the old hamburger Hamlet up there. I wish I long that's I romanticize about mid-century Los Angeles. Like I wish mm-hmm. Alan Hale's fish house or whatever oh, the fuck yeah. it was called was still on La, La Cienega. The, that's what I want. Uh, I want to go back to uh, uh, Musso and Frank soon. My wife and I are going to do a Musso and Frank's trip while that's still around, you know? Oh, yeah. They lost, they lost a bunch of their old bartenders, guys that you would recognize. I want to get oh, oh. back to Michelli's, even though the food's not the best. I love going to Michelli's. <laughs> it's place, place. I love places where uh, food's all right, <laughs> but you go, you can't wait to get there. Smokehouse, it's just a cool place to be. Smokehouse, yeah, smokehouse is like that. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, food's not bad at smokehouse. It's no, it's but it's but it's not it's not jar level. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. 
it's not like the top. We don't we don't go to Taylor's Steakhouse because it has the greatest steak in LA. You go there because you want to feel like you're it's 1972 and you're having prime rib with cream spinach, right? Yeah. Where the hell's Mannix? He was supposed to be here. <laughs> Cut to a guy peeling down a down a Wilshire with a in a green LTD. Oh, my kid is eight years old, and he he knows the term. When uh, whenever we park in front of the right in front of our place, he goes Kojak parking. Because <laughs> in Mad Magazine, they always made a joke about how Kojak wherever he was in New York, Kojak would always find a place to park right in front of wherever he was. <laughs> <laughs> Which was impossible. So I I would always call it Kojak parking and he didn't he doesn't know what it means, but now he calls it that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Have you shown him an episode of Kojak? No, I think he's seen a picture of Kojak. Uh <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't really have the the attention span for 70s crime pacing. <laughs> My nephew is named Mannix. Really? Uh yes, and he has seen the intro to the show. Yes. Oh wow. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, uh, there's a really funny parody on The Simpsons called Manichek. <laughs> and it's uh, they do a really long opening where every scene is on. It's too long, just a little too long. Every scene, like he gets in the elevator and you see him press the button and then you look at the elevator, two, three. Everything takes way too long. It's so funny. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh, I love it. All right. I'm going to play one more song. And I think it's a song. I hope it's a song that Mr. Kapatch likes. It's Brenda Lee. It's fucking rocking around the Christmas tree. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. There's a um, Wayne Newton version of this song. And teenage Wayne Newton almost sounds exactly like Brenda Lee. So I, there was like some confusion in my brain. Like in the past, was I loving the Brenda Lee version or was I loving the Wayne Newton version? But I love the Brenda Lee version. I think the Brenda Lee is the classic. Yeah, I, f- I found out that Wayne Newton is like six and a half feet tall. He's a super tall guy. I thought he was, always thought he was very small. What? But my friend Jeff Davis is friends with Wayne Newton. Says he's even taller than Jeff. He's a tall guy. Okay, so Wayne Newton is still with us. Yes, I did not know that. Yes, he's still around. Is he still performing in the city of I, Las Vegas? I, probably limited, I would think, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't need to. I wonder if there is a. I wonder if there was a Wayne Newton Branson, Missouri theater. Hmm, I don't know. I think he's a. I think he's a Vegas fixture. Okay, I think he gets I, that much. I did but, not uh, know that. When I was in, I think second grade, first or second grade, we all went up for a big Christmas recital and we danced to "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree," and that was one of our things. And we had a sidestep thing that we did. And uh, I remember I was like, man, what if my I had like David Cassidy hair? Like I was thinking I want to be like a rock star because I had these boots. My parents had gotten me these like boots that had a buckle on the side, like a boot, a, a kind of neat little biker boots. I was like, I'm dancing to these things. Man, I want to be a rock star. I have David Cassidy hair. So that's what this song makes me think of. <laughs> I love it. Every time, for the rest of my life, every time I hear it, oh, I'm in second grade on stage with my boots on. My hair is cool. Look at my well, cool you, hair. you you done okay. You 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 made it to the promised land. Yeah, except for the hair. <laughs> I had to leave my hair behind. I'll come back for you. Oh, go ahead. All was, right. th- was there a David Cassidy ABC Christmas special in the era of Christmas specials? I don't know. I, I know think- it's just like we. I saw the Partridge Family a lot, and they were in syndication by the time I was. You know, they went from primetime into reruns everywhere, and they actually had hits. So you would hear them on the radio. I had an eight track we'd listen to. <laughs> yeah. uh, Danny Bonaducci used to work out at the Hollywood YMCA, and it, it was you know you and I have been <laughs> here for a long time. We we know tons of famous people. Yeah, but I got every once Danny Bonaducci so- <laughs> at the Funny Bone in Philly once. The whole you time did I was like. Yeah, I was like, ah, you're in that you're in softcore porn movie with Marilyn Chambers on, uh, I forget what, Agents of Something, I forget what it was. Yeah, I know that guy. Well, he's just one of those fun celebrities like, hey, there's fucking Danny Bonaducci. Yeah, he's good. He's um, good do you want to throw out any, any last song as we wrap things up? Any final songs that you want to add to the mix? Well, you know what? One thing that, that happened to me when I was young is uh, I got, for Christmas, I got K-Tell's Dumb Ditties. 
<laughs> and it was uh, it was one of those KTEL albums where it was just a bunch of crazy songs. And I ordered it and I got it for Christmas. And it was loaded with such great songs. It had a couple of Christmas songs. It had, uh, I'm getting nothing for Christmas because mommy and daddy are mad. It was that one. And uh, uh, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Uh-huh. But it also had other great songs. It had My Dingling by Chuck Berry. It had uh, The Ballad of Irving. It had uh, Martian Hop. It had uh, 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 On Top of Spaghetti. Uh, all these amazing, weird, uh, uh, like novelty classics, almost like Dr. Demento. And that was a great Christmas memory for me. I was back with my slot cars listening to dumb ditties <laughs> over and over and over for months after that Christmas. Can you please... Uh, Blaine Splain, KTEL Records for the young kids at home. <laughs> KTEL was a label, and they would uh, they go, KTEL presents uh, Motorcycle Rock. Uh, you get, uh, uh, and then it would be like, you know, Born to be Wild, Steppenwolf, you know, uh, uh, you know, Arm Butterfly. And then they'd just be scrolling songs by people and many more. And, you know, sometimes it was themed. Sometimes it was greatest hits. You know, Bobby Vinton, the blue velvet. Right. Of, songs for lovers. Yeah. KTEL yes. songs for lovers. Yeah. And so it was just a, 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 a compilation album company, and they would sell uh, themed albums. But Kate, uh, Dumb Ditties is the one that I fell for. But you had to send in... Uh, a, a check for $8 to some P.O. box, correct, to get that record? Yes, I think there was at, at some point they realized that they needed to start selling in mom and pop stores. Right. So you could get get them in, you know, the Bonton or Pennies or, or whatever. Right. It was. No, in, in Pittsburgh, it was Zares, it was Hills, uh, it was like the five and dime stores. You're right. Murphy's. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, the Ballad of Irving. I can't remember the guy's name. It was about a Jewish cowboy. And it just sounded like an old-timey uh, uh, comedy album bit. Here it is, Dumb Ditties. I should have had this all worked out in rehearsal. <laughs> but anyway, Dumb Ditties had a, a couple of Christmas songs on there. Just fond memories. That's the thing about Christmas is everybody has their fond memories of every of the same songs. So it's something that we can all share a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Understood and well said. All right. As we wrap things up, is there anything that you want to promote? Anything that you want to say to the kids out there? Uh, are you doing any live shows coming up? What's the fucking story? Uh, if this is on before next week, I'm opening for Todd Barry at the Dynasty Typewriter. He's one of my favorite comedians. And so am I. So come see us. Uh, and that's it. I'm just going to be uh, uh, hanging out in the... Over the holidays, my kid's home from school, and I have a semester at sea, and then I'm going to be doing a month mex, uh, milking Mexican rattlesnakes for a university <laughs> experiment. That's going to be a lot of fun. But anyway, that's uh, me and Stacy Keach. <laughs> Check it out on our live stream. I cannot, I cannot wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Do you have plans for the holidays? Are you leaving I town? Do. You I, town? Yeah, no. It, it, Andy and Nancy Wallaf are taking me and their daughter Julia to fucking Mexico. Oh wow! Uh, I'm gonna uh, be uh, I'm gonna be down there uh, milking <laughs> rattlesnakes. <laughs> we should totally hook up. I'm gonna I have a line on rattlesnake milk. Huh? <laughs> no, we are. Uh, we have been told that we can't say no, and we are being taken. Just the generous parents. I got a girlfriend with really fucking generous parents. So. Very nice. Well, yes. have have fun. And we, yeah, hey, if you're if you're in Mexico, you got to try the deep dish pizza. It is. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the best. You gotta, you gotta. It's part of the part of the whole thing. But I wish I was staying in L.A. almost because I love L.A. at Christmas. It's the hidden secret. It's the best place to be. It really, it's completely is. empty because everyone has gone home mm -hmm. to fucking Cleveland. And everywhere else in Boston and what the fuck. And it is great because you can drive around and do shit. I am going to the Tam O'Shanter uh, right before Christmas for oh, good. Christmas caroling. Uh, so, yeah. So, it's the holiday season. Dude, thank you, thank you, thank you. By the way, you're now the first official fourth time guest on the Brando Cast. Oh, I'm a four-timer. You're a four-timer. There's I love part, it. Double two-timer. There's Pardo with three. There's Paget Brewster with three. 
Uh, there's Paul Myers with three, but you're now the first official number Suck four. Suck it, Pardo. <laughs> you in particular. <laughs> it's it's great company to be ahead of. Yeah, well, you're the uh, absolute best. You're the fucking best. You're the best. I, I always love talking with you, Brendan. All right. Thank you, dude, so much. And to the rest of you, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thank you for liking, subscribing, listening uh, to the BrandoCast. Got so many great guests coming up in 2022. This is the final show of the year. No one I'd rather spend it with than Mr. Blaine Kapatch. And, of course, the BrandoCast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. When the band finished playing, they held up for more Sinatra was swinging, all the drums they were singing We kissed on the corner, then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir were singing Go away, play And the band